if you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 16. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And uh, we've been walking through the book of Acts for several months. We've got about a month and a half left, and we're going to wrap up this entire amazing, amazing narrative about the mission of God. Today, we're going to be talking about midnight struggle music. And that's a bit of a weird title. It's a bit of a weird concept. And I want to say a couple of things to set this up before we get into the text. Um, I I find that in my taste in music, uh, I tend to gravitate towards just what I'll describe as struggle music. And I don't really mean like there's a lot of kind of trite political struggle music that's out there that's maybe not great art. But when I say struggle music, I mean music that's coming out of personal experience and even sometimes like geographical experiences of pain and difficulty in which the artists that are writing actually in the midst of loss and adversity and pain and maybe even oppression, they actually start to write things that are really profound and honest and hopeful and resilient. Um, For me, it's really diverse. Like my struggle music catalog is really wide. It's really broad. I think of stuff like one of my favorite singer-songwriters is a guy named Jason Isbell. And uh, long-time, long-time alcoholic, long-time guy that struggled with drug addiction, finally gets sober, and he writes this album called Southeaster, which is just like anthems about his struggle with his sobriety. That's what I mean by struggle music. It came out of pain, and there's something honest and beautiful about it. Uh, I think of my favorite blues artist, Lightning Hopkins, whose voice is just amazing. His voice is just like sad, and it just captures the essence of a whole chapter in American music and history. Uh, I think of like great hip hop, which in my opinion of all genres might capture the essence of struggle music better than anything else. All the way to guys like like Woody Guthrie. Um, his collection of Dust Bowl ballads is just awesome. I've been wearing that album out over the last couple of weeks. And here's my point in saying all that. Um, when it comes to the people of God, there's a kind of struggle music that God entrusts to his church that's way more than just sort of resilience and hope in the midst of adversity or even just bemoaning our state or being frustrated and angsty about all the things that are not going well in our lives. There's a kind of struggle music that God entrusts to the people of God that actually embodies the very power of Jesus Christ because it's so full of truth. And I'm not talking about bad Christian music that sort of gets played on the airwaves, that's trite and shallow and sentimental. I'm talking about the kind of struggle music we read about in scripture that actually has the power to bring our hearts back into alignment with the truth of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens throughout scripture is there's these moments where the people of God in times of suffering and pain, in times of difficulty and loss, they actually lift up their voices in prayer and in song. And the struggle music is so full of the truth of God's promises and so enriched by the presence of God himself that their songs and their prayers actually have the ability to change the atmosphere around them. Maybe not always their circumstances, but the atmosphere of their circumstances. Are are you tracking with that? Like there's power to actually push back darkness in the struggle music of God's people. And today in Acts chapter 16, there's a thousand different fantastic things that we could talk about in this amazing chapter. But what I want to camp out on is this midnight moment in the life of Paul and a guy named Silas and how in their midnight moment, what comes out of their souls What comes out of their hearts is 
struggle music that's so dripping with the truth of the gospel that it actually, it actually is a moment of deep transformation for them and for other people in their lives. And I think this is incredibly important for every single person in this room because you've either gone through midnight and you're here and still vertical, or you're here going through a sunshiny day and you're about to go through a midnight season, or you might be in the dead center of a time of midnight in your life. And all of us actually need, by the grace of God, not just struggle music that sort of diagnoses how difficult it is to be a human being, but we need struggle music that lifts up our eyes to see the power of Jesus and the hope we have in the gospel that does something to recalibrate our hearts in the midst of difficulty. So take your Bibles. I'm going to read this. Acts 16, starting in verse 16, and then we're going to talk about midnight struggle music for the people of God. Starting in verse 16, here's what it says. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. This is a demonic spirit that's actually helping her foretell the future. And it says this, and that spirit brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs which are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowds joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them. They gave orders for them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house. He set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Four things in this text that are so important. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is that midnight comes for all of us. 
Midnight is a part of the human experience. It's not something that just Christians experience or that just non-Christians experience. Midnight is a part of human reality living in a world that's been torn by sin and death and by the fall. And what happens in this text is that these guys have a really difficult day. They're arrested, they're beaten. Paul writes later about the many times that he's beaten with rods. Well, this is the first time that happens. They're literally bleeding. They're drugged to the prison. And then in prison, the the main jailer that's in charge of keeping them bound, he takes them out of just the general prison, which would be bad enough. Like this is not white collar club med prison. This is first century Roman prison. And he takes them from that prison and then he locks them in the innermost prison. And in the innermost prison, he puts chains on their feet. And then on top of all that, Luke, the author of Acts, describes the moment of their singing as midnight. Now, track with this because here's what's happening in the story. This literally happens. This is true history. Luke, who is the doctor that wrote the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was a good historian. He researched and he interviewed people that experienced these events and he wrote down what happened carefully, but he's also telling us something more than just the facts. When he talks about inner prison and then he uses the term midnight, here's what he's describing. He's talking about the darkest, heaviest, most devastating, crushing moment that a human being can experience. These guys are brought to the place where there's no light, the darkest hour of the evening, and they're in the deepest, darkest part of the prison, and they're bleeding, and they're shackled, and they're chained. And I just want to say, uh, I'm so grateful to God that we have the inspired writings of Scripture because they're not, they're not disingenuous about what it means to be a human being. They're really honest. And here's what the Scripture would say, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, midnight is a part of what it means to be a human being. Midnight comes for us, and sometimes it comes for us through physical sickness. I got to spend time today talking to a mom whose daughter is going through cancer, and it's devastating their whole family. That's midnight. Sometimes it comes through relationships blowing up. Uh, It seems like 2016 was the year of marriages that had tons of hope and tons of dreams for the future just totally imploding, and one of the spouses walking away from Jesus and walking away from the marriage. That's midnight. Like there's people in our church community who are uh, adult parents of adult children who, who are seeing their kids walk away from Jesus. There's tons of people in our church that are dealing with mental illness, deep, deep, lasting depression, anxiety, bipolar. Like there's so many things that happen to human beings in our frailty that can be described as midnight. And what I want you to see in this story is not that being a follower of Jesus gets you out of midnight instantly or that you get to bypass midnight. What I want you to see is that the difference between a follower of Jesus and somebody that doesn't know Jesus is that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you deal with midnight on your own. One of the promises of Jesus, one of the hopes of the gospel is that when we go into that midnight place, whatever the circumstances are and whatever leads to it, one of the things that we get to hope in as followers of Jesus is that Jesus never lets you walk through midnight by yourself. He's there in the middle of it. And here's what's so crazy about Jesus. He's not the kind of God that we read about in mythology that sort of lives in a gated community in heaven and then just for grins and giggles likes to 
provide adversity and torture for human beings. The, the God of the Bible is the God, the unique God, who sends his only begotten son to take on flesh and to actually walk into the dead center of midnight so that he can come to the aid of his people when they're in midnight. Like Jesus went through midnight. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the cross, he experienced rejection and pain and the weight of sin. He experienced the wrath of God, and he did all that so that when his people go through midnight, he could come to their aid and bring hope and be their mediator, their pastor, and their priest. Midnight comes for everyone, for everyone. But if you're a follower of Jesus, midnight never comes for you and asks you to endure it alone. Jesus will walk through it with you. I remember years ago, one of the midnights of, of me and Nancy's life was our son getting really, really ill. And uh, he, he had this encounter with uh, meningitis, which was bad enough. And then for some reason, that meningitis turned into this rare d- disorder called ADEM, which essentially is like his body, his immune system attacking his brain as if his brain was the virus itself. And he had severe neurological damage and the doctors thought he was gonna die. And we were in ICU for like two weeks and it was my job to work the night shift for Elijah. And so I would be in this dark room in ICU and I just remember midnight would hit and I'd be looking at my boy who couldn't talk, couldn't communicate, couldn't move his body. It would be black in the room and I just felt like, the darkness coming in on me and the darkness around him. And in that moment, I would just long for morning to come. Well, I'm saying all that to say that's just part of what it means to be a human. And part of what it means to be a Christian is that when you're in the innermost prison, whatever that is, and you're going through midnight, whatever that is, you're not by yourself, but Jesus, your priest, your king, your savior, your mediator is right there in the dead center of it with you in his love and in his mercy to help you and to grow you and to meet you in it. And that's what leads secondly to the midnight struggle music of Jesus's people. Jesus's people have midnight struggle music in that place, in that prison, that can be described as prayers and hymns. Look again at verse 25. About midnight, the darkest hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, we don't have in this story exactly what they prayed or exactly what they sang, but here's what's awesome. We actually do have the prayer book that they would have been using. It's called the Psalms. And if you just take your Bible, if you take like a hard copy Bible and you just open it to the middle, there's like a 50% chance you're going to land in the book of Psalms because it's the biggest book in the whole Bible and it's right in the dead center. And what's amazing is Paul and Silas would have known the book of Psalms. They would have memorized huge portions of it. Paul probably knew the entire book of Psalms by heart. And so in this moment, we're in the, they're in the darkest dungeon that you can imagine, and they're singing and they're praying to Jesus, what they would have had would have been this huge catalog of midnight struggle songs that were written throughout the history of God's faithful dealings with his people. They would have had psalms like the 42nd Psalm that says this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. So here's the big idea. When we talk about midnight struggle music, what we're saying is this. In the midnight hour, as a follower of Jesus, in the prison with your feet in chains, the prayers and the hymns that were called the sing as an act of warfare and hope and trust 
are given to us, first of all, so that we can remind our own souls of our hope in Jesus. In the midnight hour, it's hard to feel the presence of God. Anybody else? It's hard, man. It's hard to feel the presence of God. Sometimes in the midnight hour, it's hard to remember the promises of God in Jesus. Sometimes our hearts are so heavy and so numbed out when it's midnight that we even forget that Jesus is with us in that hour. And what the Psalms do and what these prayers and hymns of the church do is they actually help you to speak to your own soul about the reality of all that's yours in Jesus. Your hope, your life, your future, your security, the love of God that's with you, the fact that nothing can separate you from him. That's the content of these struggle songs. And so they're singing these songs. Like, think about it like this. Paul is praying and he's singing these hymns, first of all, because his own soul needs to be reminded of his hope in Jesus, because he's probably not feeling a whole whole lot of like grins and giggles and goosebumps in this moment. He's feeling distant from God, probably. He's feeling the pain on his back. He's feeling the weight of the chains. That probably feels in that moment more real to him than his hope in his Savior. And so he has to sing to remind his own soul. He also has to sing because midnight struggle songs for the people of God are are acts of warfare for one another. Paul needs his buddy Silas, who's in prison with him, to sing and to pray so that Paul can hear those songs and those prayers. And Silas, Paul's buddy that's right by him in prison, he needs his friend Paul to sing and pray so that he can remember the hope that he has in Jesus. See, here's what's so amazing. Throughout the Bible, when God sends people out on mission, I can't think, there's probably maybe some, but I can't think of any instances where either Jesus or the early church sends people out into the world by themselves to do mission. It's always at least two by two. And the reason that that happens again and again is because when the midnight hour hits, you need a partner in the gospel. You need a gospel community in your life for when it's difficult for you to sing and pray, to sing and pray to remind you of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Um, Recently at one of our services, I was going to a pretty dark place in my mind. I was like thinking about all the stuff that's broken and messed up in our church. And and I'm grateful that there's a lot of evidences of grace, but we're also a hot mess as a church. Like there's so many things wrong with our church. Uh, Recently we did, we did a baptism celebration um, here downtown. We set up our horse trough because our baptistry is broken and, and we had one baptism for the day, which to me, it was like, that's like the worst thing ever as a pastor. We, we, we exist not just for the Christians in our church, but we exist for the city. And, and it bums me out. It depresses me. And I'm just looking around thinking, we set up our flipping horse trough. We heated that mug. We've been preaching the gospel. We've been engaging our city. And we have one person to baptize out of a church this size. This is terrible. Our church sucks. This is terrible. This is a horrible church. This is an awful church. And then I'm thinking about the fact that like we're, we're praying so hard for gospel reconciliation between different classes and races. And we're, we're praying so hard that God would bring gospel diversity into our church. And it's such slow work. It's discouraging. It's frustrating. And I was just looking around our church thinking about all the ways that we're not the church that we want to be and hope to be. And I'm just, frankly, I'm, I'm more focused on everything that's wrong than the gospel And in that moment, a friend of mine, a guy named Dave, he's sitting behind me and he's singing and he has a really bad voice. So there's nothing, there's nothing about his melodies that was like engaging from my heart, 
but he's singing through his really bad voice. He's singing struggle music about the glory of God and the power of the gospel and the authority of Jesus and the hope we have in Christ and the security that's ours as Christians. And in that moment, I needed him to sort of wash me with the water of the word to sing in a way that I could hear it. Midnight struggle music reminds your own soul of your hope in the, in the gospel. And it also helps you to remind the souls of those that you do life with. This is why as a church, we gather all over our city, all over our region in community groups that are on mission, but they're also these little bands of brothers and sisters that are trying to learn how to pray over each other and sing over each other and remind each other of the hope that we have in Jesus. So we sing and we worship and we pray because we have hope in Jesus and it's easy to forget it when it's really dark and really heavy and you feel the chains on your feet more than you feel the grip of grace. Thirdly, we sing and pray at midnight because there's people with us who can't yet sing. Like, there's people around you who can't yet sing of the grace and glory of God, and so we sing so that they can hear it and see it. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So think about what's happening. Here's Paul who knows Jesus and loves Jesus. Here's Silas who knows Jesus and loves Jesus. They're locked in prison and they're surrounded by prisoners that don't yet know and love Jesus. And what's happening in this moment is as they're praying and as they're singing, all these people that don't know the promises of God in Christ are hearing the good news of Jesus. And here's what's actually happening. Paul and Silas are bearing witness to the gospel as they sing midnight struggle music in hope before these people that are far from God. See, as followers of Jesus, here's the reality. We're called to engage and love non-Christians all over our city, to be friends with them and serve them and tell them about Jesus. We're, We're called to do good deeds all over our city that demonstrate the kingdom of God. But hear me, we're also called to bear witness to Jesus by singing and worshiping and lifting up our heads in the midst of trials and sufferings so that people that don't have that hope can see hope. Now, I want to be really clear here. This is not, this is not um, fake it till you make it Christianity. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about pretending to be okay when you're not okay. Uh, I had a good friend of mine that used to do uh, Oklahoma City Public Schools campus clubs with me. And I love this guy, but he just sort of had this religious grid where if you asked him how he was doing, no matter how difficulty, no matter what difficulties he was facing, he, he would always answer with like a really trite Christian platitude. Like, how are you doing, buddy? And he would say something about, man, I'm blessed and highly favored of God to be a blessing unto others, or everything's peachy and awesome. How could anything be other than great? I'm a Christian. And sometimes I was like, dude, you just lost your job. Do you really want to talk about what you're going through? And he would never want to go there. And and so here's my point. My point is to be a witness in the midnight hour is not to pretend like you're okay when you're not okay, but it is to practice this beautiful gift of grace in which for every one look you take at yourself, you take something like seven looks at who Jesus is and what he's done. 
And what starts to happen is not putting on a fake smile and not just grinning even though you're hurting on the inside and not avoiding lamenting things that are broken and wrong in the world and in your life. But what starts to happen in the midst of suffering as you lift up your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes on Jesus, what starts to happen is you become salt and light in a world full of suffering. People that are suffering without hope, look at your songs and your prayers and it bears witness to the glory of God in Jesus. So what are we saying here? Well, first of all, midnight is a reality for all human beings. Second of all, prayers and hymns are the struggle music of Jesus's people. Thirdly, we get to pray and sing those struggle songs at midnight for people that can't sing. And then finally, fourthly, We pray and sing because Jesus is with us at midnight and deliverance for his people is always guaranteed. It's always guaranteed. And some of you are thinking, always guaranteed? That sounds like maybe prosperity gospel. No, no, track with me. Deliverance for God's people is always 100% guaranteed. Let me show you what happens and try to explain that. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Here's what's happening. They're singing these prayers and these hymns to God and the very presence of Jesus who's already with them becomes manifest in that cell, in that place with his light and his life and his truth and he delivers them out of prison. Now, here's what I want you to see. Um, If your hope is in Jesus, whatever the midnight hour is, whether it's cancer or it's bankruptcy, whether it's losing a marriage that you've been fighting for or having a kid walk away from the faith, whatever the struggle is that you're going through that feels like midnight, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can actually bank on the reality that 100% of the time, the deliverance of God is going to be for you. Now, let me nuance that and explain what I mean. Now, in this story, the deliverance is almost instant, it's sudden, and it's miraculous, right? This is a beautiful miracle. This is, we're praying and we're singing, and God does something that just blows everybody's mind. Light fills the darkness, prison doors fly open. That's a kind of deliverance that is wonderful, glorious, and a bit rare. That's the moment where God miraculously heals the cancer. We've seen that happen as a church, Like that's the moment where the spouse who's turning away from you and turning away from Jesus experiences conviction and they turn back towards you just suddenly and you didn't see it coming. And it just happens in such a way that light fills the darkness. Um, That's the miraculous deliverance where God just does something unusual that you didn't see coming that you could never have planned for. God does that. Now, sometimes though, that's not the way it works. Sometimes the way he delivers you through midnight is actually just by being present with you from 12 to 1, and then from 1 to 2, and then from 2 to 3, and then from 3 to 4, and then from 4 to 5, and then from 5 to 6 till the dawn comes. Sometimes it's really slow, and sometimes it's progressive, and sometimes it's God using medicine, and it's God using community to remind you of the glory of God until the sun comes, And it's slow and it's steady and it's difficult, but it's still nonetheless deliverance. It's Jesus walking with you through midnight. And sometimes, as it happens to Paul at the end of his life, 
Sometimes the way he delivers you and keeps his promises is like what happens to Paul at the end of his life when he's in prison in Rome, where he's singing these struggle hymns and he's praying these struggle prayers, but instead of the presence of Jesus knocking open the doors of his cell and him being set free, um, he's actually executed. He's executed. How can that be deliverance? Well, it's, it's the power and grace of God that actually brings final and complete deliverance from his struggle against sin and death and Satan so that he can see Jesus face to face. So what, what, am I mean, what am I meaning here? What am I trying to get to? I'm trying to get to this. If your hope is in Jesus, you can sing and you can pray when it's midnight because God does not lie. And throughout scripture, the promise is this, because of who Jesus is and because you're in Jesus, deliverance for you from sin, from death, from sickness, from the kingdom of darkness, from oppression, from mental illness, from poverty, whatever it is that's afflicting you, the promise of Jesus is that none of those things will get the last or ultimate word about you. Deliverance is yours in Jesus. And we need to be ready and prayerful for that deliverance sometimes to be miraculous and sudden. It is awesome when he does it like that. We need to pray big prayers for those kind of sudden miraculous deliverances. And we need to also be full of hope and longing for those deliverances that are slow and steady where he just walks with you through it. And we actually need to be the kind of people that can see death as the last act of Christian faith where we actually learn to be a people that aspire to die well in faith is really, is really in some ways, even though death is an enemy, because death has been defeated, death is also the final exit from a world that's full of midnight to the very presence of the living God. So as we wrap this thing up, um, <clears throat> as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, midnight will hit you, but it'll hit you It'll hit you with Christ and in Christ and through Christ, meaning you're not by yourself. And I would say, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, one of the invitations of Jesus is not to try to deal with midnight based on your own intellect or self-determination or ability to white-knuckle it is to actually surrender to Jesus and experience his grace and his help in this life, in difficulty, in pain, in trial. Not that he's going to always get you around it, but he's going to meet you in it. And I would say today, if everything is really great, if this is a moment in your life where the sky is blue and the sun's shining, um, you don't need to go looking for midnight But what you do need to do is put these psalms and put these hymns deep in your soul so that when midnight comes, they can come out of you. We gather together as a church every single week, and what we do is we gather. It matters. It matters. Hearing the word, singing the good news of Jesus, praying for each other, this matters. It matters because some people as we gather are experiencing midnight and this is us singing and praying struggle songs and struggle hymns over them. And it matters for some of you because this is the way that you're preparing for the struggle when it comes. You're learning. You're learning the grace and the glory of God when everything's sunny and bright outside so that when everything is stormy and gray outside, 
you have actually a reservoir of truth and life and communion that you've experienced that you can draw on. So as we wrap this up today, can we stand up together?